Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 353. Can't stop, won't stop. Um, yeah, absolutely. So then the dish, the dishwasher is something that you wouldn't think, right? It's the, it's the least glamorous job in the whole industry. But if, you're, if you don't have a good, if a good dishwashing crew back there and they're not getting the, the dishes and the silverware and the glassware and all that stuff, back into the kitchen or back out to the bar, you're not going to be able to turn the tables. You're not going to be able to function um, in, a, in a nice, fluid, um, you know, consistent manner. So there, we, we treat our dishwashers like kings. We give, we, we give them whatever they want. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Is your restaurant so busy that sometimes guests have to wait 20, 30, maybe even 60 minutes to get sat? Do they ever get so fed up that they just get up and go somewhere else? No Wait manages waitlist digitally so that diners can join the waitlist from home and know exactly when to show up. With No Wait, you never feel too busy because guests never feel like they have to wait. Check out nowait.com slash unstoppable. Unstoppable for a special offer just for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. Again, that's nowait.com slash unstoppable. Hey guys, would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Restaurant. Restaurant success. This book reveals the step-by-step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, David Kennedy. David, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable. Way to go. <laughs> All right. <Ready>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It was in Boston, Massachusetts, where David Kennedy got his start in the restaurant industry as a part-time bartender while working towards his MBA. It was your MBA, right? Correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. All right. Today, today, David is the founder of the Holy Grail located in Epping, New Hampshire, which has been nominated as New Hampshire's number one Irish pub going on seven years. Uh, and this is one of the restaurants that I've got to frequent myself multiple times. I love what they're doing there. Great people. Uh, can't wait to learn more about what makes you guys so awesome, David. But first, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. So basically here at the Holy Grail, we have a couple different things. One is, uh, you know, once you, once you find the Holy Grail, um, your quest is over. And um, Sundays isn't just for church anymore. And we also say that uh, we have the uh, divine foods and heavenly spirits that no one else can offer. 
Beautiful. And how do you use that with your team to pump up your team? I mean, it sounds like it might be geared towards your staff, but do you, or your 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 guests? But do, is that something that's geared more toward your, your team members? No, for for the team members, basically, we have a uh, three foot rule. We want everybody that walks in there to feel as though they're part of something different and something unique. So we say hello and thank you to anybody who is within three feet of us. We always make sure that they're, you know, even if they're going to the bathroom or they're going outside to have a cigarette or whatever it is, we want them to be acknowledged, you know, not just once when they walk in the place or, you know, once when they leave, but we want people to acknowledge them, you know, throughout their whole dining experience. Awesome. Great way to get this thing started. And uh, let's kind of go back to when it all started for you. Uh, when did you first break into this industry? And what was it like like reflecting back at that time? So like you said in the beginning, we um, I got all my restaurant experience in Faneuil Hall in Massachusetts. Um, very high-paced, very um, touristy-oriented but in an industry that uh, did roughly about uh, $7 million a year in sales. And, wow. uh, you know, going from that experience, we opened up, my wife and I opened up our own small uh, restaurant at Hampton Beach for three summers just to get our feet wet. Very small, only 100 seats, but it's the same type of situation where it was, you know, it was seasonal, a lot of tourists. Um, which we already knew how to, um, you know, make happy and and and, uh, and be successful. Going forward from there, um, I got off out of the restaurant business for a while. Taught uh, at Exeter High School for a little while. Um, did some real estate for a little while. But the passion, and they they always say, is that once in the restaurant business, always in the restaurant business. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? it gets you. It's in your blood. It's always there. And the excitement of new and exciting and just it, it it's so hard to give it up. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so it sounds like for you, uh, you weren't really ready to commit to this full time as like your 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 thing, your gig uh, until nine years ago, because it sounds like you're trying to get away from it for a little while. Is that safe to say? Yeah. And I think it's more so with raising a family. Um, it's not to. to um, especially with small children. Um, now that my, all my children are, you know, are finishing up high school or in college, it gives me a little bit more flexibility and time to spend at the restaurant because it, it is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-days-a-week type business. I mean, you, it, you, you can never really get away from it, well, even if you're on vacation or whatever. It's, 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 something's always happening in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got you. So uh, let's go back to that time where you were first getting into the industry. Uh, we actually had the opportunity to talk for a little bit before uh, getting you on the show. A uh, little backstory. Uh, I started picking up some Uber shifts, driving for Uber for a little side hustle, extra cash Hi. while doing this podcast. And uh, I, I had the opportunity to drive two of your employees. That's kind of why you came <laughs> to the surface. And uh, you know, we, we were talking during that 15-minute drive about how awesome it is to work at the Holy Grail and yeah. to work for you. And uh, they both, uh, what was it? Uh, sh- is it sh- was it Shane and, and Lydia? Uh, oh, so Richie, Richie. Richie, Richie, that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, both, Yeah, both of these folks have uh, been working for you for four years. And for me, somebody who's spoken to over 350 successful restaurants, 
we're on tours now. Like I, I, I know what to hear or what to listen for and like little clues and that longevity, that employee longevity is definitely a clue that something special is going on here. So I really want to find out what it is about you, how you, how you evolved as a professional, as a restaurateur, uh, to like, you know, be so awesome today. So let's go back to that time, uh, when you first started working in the industry and really take us through what that experience was like for you. And, uh, there was a man that really influenced you too, that really mentored you. So take us through that. Yeah. So Steve Hennessy, um, was my general manager at the place that we worked in at Daniel Hall, which was a large corporation based out of St. Louis, but they had four restaurants right in the, the Daniel Hall area. So Steve kind of took me under his wing while I was going for my uh, MBA at Suffolk and basically showed me the ropes of how a successful um, restaurant operation worked. You know, I spent time in the bookkeeper's office. I spent time with the chefs. I spent time in uh, the, with the liquor manager. I spent time um, dealing with all the sales reps and, 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 you know, all the different product that comes in flows in and out of restaurants. And taking all that experience and, and using it um, myself um, really made me look at what's the most important resource that you have in the restaurant industry, and that's your employees. Mm. If you don't have good employees, like, you know, you can go in anywhere and you can get a draft beer. You can go in anywhere for the most part and get a decent burger or chicken wings, but it's the it's the you know, the servers and the bartenders and your staff, your hostess who's greeting you and thanking you on the way out, those are the people that really came across in that part of my career as being the most important people in the restaurant. And to break it down a little bit further, between the hostess and the dishwasher, those are the two most important positions in the restaurant. Dive into that. Why? Because the hostess is the first person that's going to greet you when you walk in the front door, and they're going to be the last person that you see on your way out, for the most part. Mm. And, and so if you have a positive experience when you're walking in, and then you have somebody thanking you for spending their hard-earned money with you on the way out, it just leaves a great impression in, in their mind as they're leaving. There's a lot of places that you know, you're greeted very nicely and warmly when you come in, and your dining experience might be great, but nobody says thank you on your way out. They've taken your money, and mm-hmm. they basically haven't, you know, they're, they're not saying, oh, you know, how was everything? You know, thank you for coming in. Hope to see you soon. You know, those small two or three words are so key, so important. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So then the, dish, the dishwasher is something that you wouldn't think, right? It's the, it's the least glamorous job in the whole industry. But if, you're, if you don't have a good, if a good dishwashing crew back there and they're not getting the, the dishes and the silverware and the glassware and all that stuff back into the kitchen or back out to the bar, you're not going to be able to turn the tables. You're not going to be able to function um, in, a, in a nice, fluid, um, you know, consistent manner. So there, we yeah. tr- we treat our dishwashers like kings. We give Absolutely. We, we give them whatever <laughs> they want. Yeah. Oh man, I love it. And th- there really isn't a, a link in the chain that doesn't make a massive impact on the final product. And uh, it's so important to understand that. And uh, I love that you emphasize uh, the importance of saying goodbye yep. and asking how everything is. And 
that's just a huge opportunity uh, to write the end of the story. Yep. And so many restaurants miss out on that opportunity. And, and it reminds me of uh, Danny Myers when he says, you know, you can write the end of the story. And there's right. so often at, when people leave there, there might be something that didn't go well. And simply asking how was everything sure. and giving people, you know, that opportunity, opening up that opportunity to find out if something didn't go well and then to be able to, to then make it right is so powerful. Has that ever happened where well, you I, did discover yeah, that something that I, didn't go well and you were able to make it right? Yeah, and I think in this day and age now, it, that becomes more and more difficult to do because people, especially with the phones and TripAdvisor and Yelp and Facebook pages and, and the other you know, types of social media, it's instantaneous. If somebody has a bad meal or, or has a bad experience, they're letting the world know right then and there. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. don't catch them before they leave, they might not even get out into the parking lot into their vehicle before they're already uh, posting and letting people know that they were dissatisfied. So if you're mm-hmm. right, if you can catch them you know, at their table or on their way out and just make it clear to them that, you know, hey, I'm really sorry that, you know, this happened or we ran out of your favorite beer or we, you know, we were so busy and backed up because you didn't know. But we had a a 30 top upstairs that kind of backed up the kitchen a little bit and it took a little bit longer for your food to come. You know, if there's anything we can do right now to make it right so that you'll come back, most of the time all it is is just a quick apology and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you've, you've corrected the situation. It's amazing. Yeah, just, All it takes is just giving them the opportunity to just be heard. And 90% of the time when there is a bad review, all that person wants to do is vent. They just want to be heard. They just want to get it out there. Correct. And if you just check in as they're leaving, give them that opportunity sure. before they blow you up online. It's so powerful. So uh, thank you for going there. But I want to bring this back to you. Yep. And your story, David, because this podcast, this episode is about you and what makes you awesome. So what was it that you think Mr. Hennessy saw in you um, that drove him to want to mentor you? Because you weren't really gunning for a career in this industry. You were kind of just doing a part-time bartending thing. Uh, What do you think he saw in you that made him want to form you and mentor you and develop you as a professional? Yeah, I think that part of it is he saw in me that I'm just an all-around a rounded person and that might sound like a cliche but you know i can i can talk with all different types of people whether they're you know uh very wealthy rich you know affluent people or you know like like i said with the dishwasher we treat them like kings you know we will you know not stoop we're not we're not putting them at any other type of a level besides what we're at it's not that My wife and I, as individuals, wouldn't jump into the dish pit for an hour or so, even as an owner or a manager. You have to be willing to take all those people, whether they're customers or employees, and make them feel as part of the team, make them feel as though they're important, make them feel as though, you know, they're doing a good job or, like I said, thank them for, you know, coming into your restaurant and and spending their hard-earned money with you. So I think that's what he might have seen, is that just the way that I treated the bussers, I would treat them the same way as I would treat the servers and the bartenders and the barbacks and the prep cooks and the dishwashers. Everybody, to me, is equally important as the next person. 
There is no, there is no levels. You're not above anybody else. Even, even here at the Holy Grail, we don't have chefs. We only have cooks. We have line cooks. We have saute cooks. We have prep cooks. We have fry cooks. We have grill cooks. We have, you know, sandwich and salad cooks. We don't really, you, you know, we have a head guy, but we don't really put him on a pedestal. He doesn't have a business card that says chef. We don't, mm, we're not, awesome. we're not that type of a place. First of all, we're, you know, we're in a pub. So everybody is pretty much on the same level. We don't put anybody yeah. above or below that per another person. So I think that's what it, the key thing. The big thing that I'm pulling out, I mean, well, the, the, the three things I, I pulled out from that were just being a sociable dude, yep. uh, being somebody who's not afraid to hustle. He saw that in you to get right. in there, get your hands dirty. But the most important thing is that, from what I picked up is that you aren't afraid to give respect. And I feel like so many people want to be respected, right. but they don't understand that in order to be respected, you need to, you need to give respect. And <laughs> he saw that in you, which is, which True. is so powerful. Yeah. You want to reflect on that? No, I think, I think you're spot on. I think that is, and in this day and age too, it, it, you don't see much of that. You don't see as mm -hmm. much of that as you would expect to see. So, you know, even you earlier when we first talked, you know, how do, how do, what, how do I um, talk to you? Is it Mr. Kennedy from when I was a teacher or is it David? You know, it's that respect thing where, you know, even my mother-in-law, who she's in her 80s and I'm in my 50s, I still say, you know, call her by Mrs. Madden. I, you know, very rarely do I call her by her first name. And I think a lot of that is being lost in, in today's mm. society is, you know, and, and a lot of the younger folks generation, you know, they don't even respect themselves. So how are they going to respect people of authority? Yeah. How are they going to respect their elders? How are they going to respect, you know, people yeah. in, in positions of power? It makes it very difficult if, if you don't yeah, respect I think it, them. Yeah. And it goes, it goes, you know, deeper than formalities to it. I mean, just showing, caring, being there in, you know, your, your actions speak louder than your words. And I sure. think that's probably what he saw on you. Um, so another big lesson uh, from what I picked up during our first conversation, our, our pre-interview chat yeah. was that uh, what Mr. Hennessy was doing for you, uh, taking the initiative to show you the ropes is something that I think is lost uh, with a lot of restaurant tours. They, especially independent small operations, they don't take that extra step to really um, show p people with potential the whole operation and to really invest their time and knowledge in that person uh, by mentoring that person. And I mean, do you think that is something you picked up from Mr. Hennessy is, is taking the initiative to, to challenge your staff to uh, put them in areas that might leave them slightly uncomfortable. So they're growing professionally. Is that something you do? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think same thing, you know, back when we were doing it, um, a lot of managers or assistant general managers or general managers or whatever, they didn't feel threatened at all. I think nowadays a lot of bosses do not want to encourage their, their uh, associates or, or their um, staff underneath them to gain too much knowledge or too much power because they could have at some point possibly lose their job to maybe one of these people. But mm -hmm. me personally, I don't feel that way. I think that we cross-train everybody. There isn't not one person in this restaurant that doesn't know multiple jobs, whether it's dishwasher, prep cook, cook, whether it's 
buffer server bartender, whether it's hostess um, slash server. So like even today, we didn't have a hostess on. She got called away. One of my servers, you know, mostly all my servers can jump right into that role as along with, you know, myself and my wife, we do the same thing. But I think it's, you know, cross-train everything. So Richie, the guy that you had picked up in your Uber, <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he went to Johnson & Wales for a year. Okay. And uh, he started in the kitchen for us, then became a server, then became a bartender, and now he's a part manager. And so he left. He, he went to Johnson & Wales, which is a great culinary school, and he dropped out. And I said, Richie, why did you drop out? There's so much wealth of information there and knowledge there. He goes, he goes, Dave, to be honest with you, he goes, I'm learning more working for you than I, than I was in going to school. And it doesn't cost me anything. It's free. Mm, you know? Absolutely. That makes, uh, that makes me feel really good. Uh, that's awesome. And, I mean, that, I think we, we lose sight of what our role uh, – in life is, sure. and I'm being kind of woo woo here, but really when you, when you boil it all down, like everyone's purpose in life is to, to make sure the next generation of people, uh, have that knowledge, have, uh, that wisdom, you're, you're passing down all that stuff. And we've gotten into a society that's so transactional. It's about the paycheck. It's, you know, I'm paying you do your job. Right. Uh, and we forget that it's our job to develop the next generation. And, uh, I mean, how do you want to reflect on that at all? I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Knowledge is power. And, you know, reading, you know, a lot of the kids, they don't, they don't take the time to read, you know, they're, they're on their phones, they're on their computers Mm. and stuff like that. And they, they're skimming articles and they're just, they're just touching the surface on the surface on some of these things that could make them more valuable in society and at their, in a profession. So I think that you're right. I think that, you know, a lot of that stuff is kind of being lost a little bit. Um, and I try to, whenever I have my staff meetings, I try to let them know that, look, at first of all, yeah, you work for me and you work for the Holy Grail, but you're really a subcontractor for yourself. Mm. You know, you own your own business. You come in here with a smile on your face, you're dressed, you're clean, you're neat, you have a good attitude. And all I'm doing is I'm giving you the building. I'm giving you all the inventory, the supplies, and all you have to do is sell my stuff for me. And you make a commission mm. in the form of tips. So you 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 work for yourself. And if you don't want to, you know, work on your craft and work on your art of upselling or, you know, engaging people in conversation, like the first things that I tell them when they're just starting out is like the first thing you need to do when you go over to a table is scan the table, see if there's anything that maybe one of the customers might be wearing or something that, you know, is you're attracted to that you could um, make a conversation about. Are they wearing a mm-hmm. Patriots hat? Oh, go Patriots. Way to go. Can't believe that they won their fifth rank, blah, blah, blah. And right then and there, you're already engaged in this, yep. this group of customers where, they're going to have a much better experience. And even if they had something go wrong, they're still going to remember that and they're still going to, you know, not feel as uh, taken back by the bad experience. They're going to, they're going to, it's going to lessen it, I would say. Absolutely. And uh, you said something earlier that really stood out to me and I want to bring it back to the surface and that uh, that's the whole idea that some people uh, are apprehensive to 
share their knowledge, to to try to make the team better because they're afraid that they might be uh, replaced. Sure. Uh, they're afraid of losing their job. So how do you create a culture in your restaurant that overcomes uh, that negative uh, self-promoting, it's all about me, not about the team attitude? Well, first of all, like I said, cross-training everybody. So okay. if, if you're cross-trained in, in multiple different areas, you know what it's like to, dish, to wash dishes. So you can't really put the dishwasher down. You already know what it takes, and it's a tough job. You can't treat the bussers um, inappropriately or, or rudely or be you know, negative towards them because you've done it for a, a you know, couple weeks or a month. So you know what they're going through. You've done what they, you know, you're, you've put yourself in their shoes. So I think, first of all, that is huge. And then as far as the whole thing about working together as a team, it's, it's you know, there is no I in team. Everybody has their own responsibilities, but, you know, you never walk into the kitchen empty-handed. You never walk out of the kitchen empty-handed. You mm-hmm. never walk by a table that has an empty glass an empty plate on it without picking it up. doesn't matter if it's your table or not. And the customers see that. And that's what, and that's how you're building the business. Your, your repeat customers are the ones that were treated nicely that saw, and we get so many great compliments on our staff is that, you know, everybody is walking around with a smile on their face. They don't bring anything in from, you know, negative things from, from home or from outside of, of the, of the business. They all help each other. They're all running each other's foods. They're all running each other's drinks. They're all, like I said, pre-bussing each other's tables. It's just a, it's just a thing that we've developed over the past, you know, we just started our ninth year. And, uh, and we know within two weeks of a new employee whether or not they're going to make it because of that. We, and we, we encourage them and we train them and we try to teach them, but not everybody has that mindset. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, not everybody can work here at the Holy Grail either. Yeah, I, I want to come back to this conversation about how you keep that culture strong um, and how you have been able to do it consistently for nine years. But I want to go back. I want to kind of sure. capture your story a little bit more back to uh, opening your first restaurant. So um, how long were you working uh, for uh, this this uh, corporation that Mr. Hennessy was a part of before you went out and opened your own place? Yep. so I was there for seven years. Um, the first uh, year and a half while I was in my doing my MBA program, um, strictly as just a part-time bartender. And then once I graduated um, and got my master's degree, there wasn't anything in the, in the finance field, which is the area that I wanted to get involved into. But, uh, you know, um, he trained me uh, and took, showed me around the, the different areas of the restaurant and created a supervisor position. So a supervisor advisor position is not necessarily a manager position because you're overseeing the head waitresses and you're overseeing maybe the bussers and you're overseeing smaller groups of, in, of employees, unlike a manager. So we did that for two years and actually became a manager. And every year, um, because they had four restaurants all operating under the same umbrella, um, he had four major managers and we each had our own restaurant to run and then okay. and then every year they he rotated it so one year you'd have the nightclub one year you'd have the cafe one year you'd have the piano bar and then one year mm-hmm. you'd be part of the uh the, 
the main restaurant, which was Crickets. What was the benefit of rotating the, the managers like that? Why do you think he was doing that? I think he was doing that so because they were also individual uh, menus. They were individually um, uh, marketed. They were individually um, uh, entertainment purposes, whether you had bands or whether you had just somebody playing the piano or if you just had a solo guitarist. Um, your staff was completely different. Um, the cafe had more younger, you know, 18 to 21-year-olds, cricket, okay. more of a, you know, a, an older um, staff, you know, 30 to 25 to, say, you know, 45. And then even the piano bar, we had employees that were, you know, 50, 60 years old that were still working there. So, I mean, oh, wow. he did that so that... Once again, you know, you're walking in someone else's shoes. You can't say, mm. well, it's so much easier to run the piano bar. You know, mm -hmm. oh, it's so much easier to run a cafe. Well, no, oh, yeah, you, well, if you think it's that much easier, you get to run it next year. So I think... Yeah, and it... it yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah, so I think he did that so that everybody had an opportunity to see how they all ran. Mm -hmm. So then when we sat down and had our, you know, monthly managers meeting and everybody talked about how well their particular um, business was doing and then you see the overall picture because it was all under you know one umbrella is mm -hmm. oh well the my my business did x amount more this month than we did last month so what are we doing right what are we doing wrong you know how and we all help we were able to all help each other to raise the bar up in, in every, yeah. everyone's sales so it really sounds like uh, he was trying to create that culture of we and us, and not just you know our place and your place, but like uh, like a unity among the four locations. That's cool. Um, so seven years you're with this restaurant group. Uh, you started early '90s, right? '91 was that what I remember hearing? Um, I started there in '89. '89. So 1995, '90. Uh, six was when you decided to go out and open your own restaurant or was there some, was there a gap there? There's a, nope, there was no gap, but basically what I was doing is I was, um, running some of it while I was finishing up at, in Daniel hall. So we opened up our restaurant in 90, uh, 94, but it's only for the summer. Okay. So 94, 95 and 96 was, um, when I was, what we were uh, running the restaurant down the beach, but my wife still was working at crickets. I w had kind of taken a back seat. I wasn't there as much as I had been in the past, but we were, were kind of feeling it out because I, you know, we knew we were only going to be open for like nine weeks. So I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, not work somewhere. I had to keep, okay. had to keep them both kind of kept, kept the, our feet in the door and the other place while we were open, trying our feet in the new you know, new experience. So, okay. So yeah. when did, at that time, like reflecting back at that time, your, your mindset, your mentality, was this, uh, three, was this restaurant that you're opening on the beach? Was that going to be something that was long-term? Was it, uh, I mean, what were you hoping that that would turn into? So what we were hoping that would turn into eventually would be to open up another, so keep the place at the beach because it's so popular. Hampton beach is very popular and very, yep. um, you know, um, well established, yep. and yep. then and then open up a, a year round place somewhere else, whether it was in a surrounding town, Exeter, Stratum, Greenland, Portsmouth, and then what we could do is offer our staff the um, 
the incentive to work down the beach in the summertime. So okay. if you, right, you take your best employees and you give them um, sales, um, you know, goals, and you give them all these incentives saying like, okay, if you, you know, work really, really hard and you show us that you're one of our top um, selling um, servers, bartender servers, what you'll get is the opportunity to go down to the beach in the summertime and make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the incentive is to, to, you know, get down there where you work for nine weeks and probably make more in nine weeks than you did in nine months because it's mm-hmm. so busy down there. So that was our long-term goal. Um, it didn't happen out, work out that way just because we started the family. And mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it's, it's very, very difficult to, to have small children. My wife's a labor and delivery nurse too at extra hospital. And you oh, know, wow. she worked at seven at night till seven in the morning. So, you know, I needed to be around when, mm-hmm. uh, when my daughters were young. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, you got out of the industry, uh, mid nineties, 90. Yep. What's that? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, was that like 96 when you got out? You started in, or 97, 97 around that time. Yep. And then you went, you, you started teaching. Uh, what made you want to come back to the restaurant industry? Well, part, part of it was just the way that I saw the school, um, system being run and, and, and part of it being with the new age of the, the cell phones, mm-hmm. um, as a teacher, it's hard enough as a teacher to get up in front of a class of 25 students and engage them all in, in topic and conversation and, and uh, curriculum, correct? Mm-hmm. So I noticed towards the end of my six years that I was at extra high school was that um, less and less of the students were involved or engaged in the topic of, of whatever was being taught. So I taught social studies. So I was in, uh, you know, U.S. history, world history, geography, psychology, sociology, economics, all there was like nine different disciplines under that one um, area. And, uh, and the administration seemed to be backing more of the parents and the students as opposed mm. to the, the, the teachers. So we saw a little bit of a change happening over those last couple of years they were there. And I just didn't feel as though I was, I felt like I was doing the, the students a disservice. I didn't think I was as good of a teacher as I was or I could. You lost the passion. There was no passion there. The passionate thing, right. And like okay. I said earlier in, in the cast, I just said that, you know, once once you've been in the restaurant business, it's always in your blood. I and mean, it's always something mm-hmm. that kind of drives you back to that industry. It's, and uh, I knew that we were successful in, in Samuel Hall. And I knew I was successful at the restaurant down the beach. So I knew that opening up another restaurant, I would be successful because I, I already knew the formula. I already knew how to handle, deal with customers and employees and all the, the different components of operating a successful place. Mm. So let me ask you this. Uh, when did you first start to have the uh, vision for the Holy Grail? When did that start to emerge? <laughs> that took a little while because, you know, for a couple of years when I was teaching, uh, my wife and I were always out searching for a location. And okay. living in Hampton, we looked around all along the seacoast from Seabrook all the way up to um, Portsmouth, you know, Rye and, and along North uh, Route 1. And then we started heading west 
So we started looking in Stratum and Greenland and East Kingston, Kingston area. Okay. So we, didn't, we didn't want to travel too far from home. Um, uh, eventually, with the whole Walmart deal that used was going to go in at the Stratum Exeter line on um, 108 and on Portsmouth Ave, it fell through. And then we heard that it, they were going in in Epping. And growing up in Merrimack, Mass, right down the road from Epping, everybody used to say, Epping? What's in Epping? There's nothing in Epping. <laughs> Drive right through it, right? There's, there's, yeah. there's nothing there. But in the back of my head, thinking from all my business classes, Walmart being this humongous you know, yep. entity that everyone follows them. They're the, yep. they're the anchor company. And then everyone else kind of you know jumps on their back and, and loads them yes. around it. So we knew that Epping was going to be the next big growth spurt of, of the area. There's- Yep. There's a nugget. That's the kind of stuff we're looking for yeah. uh, in these interviews. Great pieces of advice. And yep. uh, I mean, you're being very specific about the location, but essentially what happened uh, is down the road, essentially like 10 miles west from where this Walmart was going. Uh, it, it went 10 miles west down the road into this small and upcoming town. And since in the past, I don't know, 15, 10 years, that town has really exploded. But the, the lesson here is to watch the market like pay attention to areas that are on the up and up and get in early while you know real estate's cheap while you can get the market share and, and it sounds like that's what your plan was you're really paying attention to the economics uh opportunity and you, and you seize the opportunity yep exactly so the first thing we did is we drove drove to epping and we drove around and we said okay what do they have for restaurants here and Applebee's, nothing, had, nothing <laughs> yeah. really. Applebee's had yeah. just opened because they're the first one to jump on board of the wall yep. expansion. Um, yep. Kelly's Restaurant, which has been a neighborhood restaurant for a long period of time, it's a more you know pizza um, style restaurant, had actually um, been through a fire, so they were renovating themselves. Mm-hmm. And then um, Zantha's, which is kind of more of a a fine dining organic, eclectic, very small, only like maybe 45 people. Um, those are the three choices that you had in the area. Mm-hmm. And besides the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and, you know, the, the, the fast food type chains. So we said right then and there, obviously, there's going to be a need for a family-oriented, you know, um, comfort food, you know, pub grubby type with, you know, good craft beer, so we knew that there was going to be people would be looking for that and, and wanting that. So then the next thing we did is we actually went to Walmart and we stood out in front of Walmart and we did questionnaires. We asked, Oh, cool. Oh, so where are you from? Oh, I'm nice. From, I'm from Kingston. Oh, okay. And you're visiting Walmart. Yep. Have you ever been to any of the restaurants or, but you know, what would you do for lunch right now since it's, you know, 12 o'clock and we had this whole questionnaire thing of, what they thought that this whole area needed. And the biggest thing that kept coming about was restaurants. There's no restaurants mm. in the area for us to choose from. Um, there you go. Yeah. I mean, the, the Pond View down in Kingston had just closed. So the, yeah. clo- the closest restaurants were downtown Exeter. Um, even Raymond only had maybe a couple, Tuckaway Tavern, a couple other places. They weren't there yet. So um, 
you know, you really, yeah, you really hit the the market early. Uh, you, you you got there before you had a lot of you know competition, so you had time to build uh, that loyalty. And it seems like that's what you've done is you really you know uh, let your roots take hold early on before you had a lot like a ton of competition. And now you just have this amazing loyalty. Uh, you, you're doing an incredible job serving your guests. Uh, it, just a great lesson here on just market research and really going above and beyond to get as much data as possible to really get to know your guests. Uh, as much as possible and to give them what they want and not to do necessarily what you want. Um, but what it's always about what your guests want and what the market wants. Sure. And that's a huge lesson there. Huge Absolutely. Lesson. I mean, and, and you need that for when you're going to apply to a bank for a loan. So if you already mm. have all that data in place, you know, I listed out every single restaurant, which ones had bars, which ones only did beer and wine, which ones, you know, are family oriented you know, we went and visited every single one of them and grabbed their menus, looked at their prices, how much they're charging for this, how much are they charging for that. So you're not going in blind. You can't just wing mm-hmm. it in the restaurant business. I mean, nine out of ten fail in, within the first couple of years. So it's, yeah, you know, it's 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 a very difficult business. There's very little profit margin in it. There's so many different variables and so many different expenses that occur and, and happen, and equipment purchases and all that stuff that. You know, which I learned from Steve Hennessy and, and crickets, and then even mm-hmm. going out on my own. But you know, just knowing, like you said, knowing the area, knowing the need of your customers, where are your customers mm-hmm. coming from, and what is it that their expectations are, and what are they looking for in a in a, in a restaurant. So take us through this opening. Now you've done the market research. You've picked the location. Um, take us through the opening. What was that like? Were there any real challenges for you during that initial opening period? Uh, lessons you learned that you can share with our listeners? Well, I think the biggest thing even prior to just opening was the whole planning board um, part of it. You know, getting the approvals from the town. So especially with us, we're taking, you know, basically an old historic um, structure and trying to allow them to let us change it from one use, which being an old Catholic church, into now into a restaurant. I think gaining, you know, we used to walk around to all the neighbors once again and feeling out their concerns, feeling out what they think that we're going to try to do to this place. We're not going to turn it into just a biker bar or a strip club or a you know, we're, we told them what our menus were going to be like. We told them what kind of music or entertainment we were going to have. We, you know, we wanted to make sure that everybody in the area around us, because we want to become part of the community, we don't want them upset. We want them to come into the restaurant. We want them to see what it is that we created and try to, and try to give them just little bits of information enough to perk their interest to get them excited mm. about it. So when we finally did get all the approvals and we got the construction done um, and we opened those doors, it was packed. It was a mob scene. It was just... Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, because people had been wondering and, you know, some of them worrying what was going to happen with the stained glass windows. What was gonna, what was it going to look like inside? Was it still going to look like a church? Or did they take it, all that stuff out? Or, you know, what... And, you know, we, we kept it very, very kind of secretive. We wanted mm. to build that excitement. We wanted to build that enthusiasm of, of you know, people wanting months and months mm. in advance 
we can't wait for the Holy Grail to open. We can't wait for the door. <laughs> like you, you, you create your own monster, so to speak. So getting back to your initial question is, you know, what did we go through? We were understaffed. We were undertrained. We were, uh, we were under, we didn't have enough inventory. Those first two or three days that we opened up, we ran out of stuff by seven o'clock at night. We had to basically oh, wow. say we're, we're out of this, we're out of that. We learned so much. Um, we were panicking. We thought people were leaving. Once again, we thought people were going to leave and they would never come back again. So what did I do and my wife do? We walked around to every single table. We talked with every single customer. We thanked people for coming in. We found out what we did right, what we did wrong. We closed the restaurant down. Closed it down for three days to reevaluate, to get reorganized, to retrain our staff. We stood out in the parking lot for three days taking turns, telling people we're only closed for a couple of days. We want it to be better, you know, better the next time when people come in. And people are like, yeah, but didn't you just have your grand opening last weekend? Yes, we did. And, and we didn't do it the right way. We, we made a mistake, and we're going to correct all of those mistakes, and we're going to open up in three days, and it, we're not going to go through those problems again. Man, uh, you made it super personal. I think it's something that is like really, you know, important uh, to connect, not just to, uh, you know, shrug it off and be like, oh, we'll do better. But you really showed your guests that you wanted to do right by them. Yep. Uh, that it wasn't about you, but it was about doing right by them. And I mean, those are real problems. Being understaffed, being undertrained, especially for a new opening restaurant. Those, those are like the biggest hurdles to get over. So, is your advice to just keep showing up? Uh, in tweaking, fine tuning, collecting more data, never stop getting more information. Like what? Like if you could give any advice on how to get over those hurdles of being understaffed, being undertrained, and not having the right systems in place. Like what? What's your advice to get over that hurdle? Well, I think that I think the toughest part about opening a new restaurant is you're not going to get the cream of the crop as far as your bartenders and servers and cooks and stuff like that. Those types of employees that are what we call professionals they're not going to leave their jobs to go to a new place until that new place proves itself that it's going to be successful mm. and it's going to be around mm -hmm. longer than a year or two years. Mm -hmm. So you really need to take the new staff, and we, and we thought we did it right. We opened up with too big of a menu. So that would be my mm -hmm. biggest advice. Start off small and grow into your restaurant. Mm. Start yes. off small. You don't have to have a, a million different items. Start off with 20 items and do those 20 items as best as you possibly can. Give every, give every one of your servers two tables. I don't care how good they think they are. Give them two tables and have mm -hmm. them wow those customers in those two tables all night long. Don't yeah. give them four or five I mean tables. The truth of the matter is you're going to operate at a loss the first few months uh, to get it right and yeah. be be ready for that. Work it into the business plan. Have extra cushion. Yep. Uh, is that something that you did? We we did. You know what we did? We fired our head our head chef after, after the grand opening weekend. Because oh, wow. That must have been tough. Very tough. And we and we that was one of the hardest decisions that we've ever made in this restaurant. But it was the right decision. He was not running he was not running the kitchen was he a great cook Could, uh, can he come up with great meals and stuff like that absolutely because we interviewed people for that job 
you know, six months to eight months in advance. And we narrowed it down to this one person, but he did, he didn't know how to run his the kitchen. He did not know how to, you know, help and assist his cooks who are struggling and, 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 and putting out subpar food. He should have been the same thing, a teacher, a mentor, a compadre, mm-hmm. a, you know, person. A who, leader, yeah. A leader, and he was not that. So we had to mm. fire him, close up for three days, and then take the next person in line who we saw had the initiative to become a, you know, a real good leader in the kitchen. And he's, he's still with us today. He's, oh, our, wow. he's, uh, our, he's our main guy today. Awesome. And yep. man, I can't believe it's already 40 minutes into this conversation. <laughs> uh, there's so much I still want to discuss, so much uh, that I see that you do well. Uh, and there's some other stuff that more recent events, that I think you might be able to really help shine some light on some of the current challenges you sure. went through. But um, real quick, uh, one thing I loved about your restaurant from a, a guest perspective, because I, I got to uh, you know experience your restaurant when you opened eight years ago or nine years ago as yep. a guest. And one thing I loved about your restaurant was your uh, promotion around, you know, finishing all the beers on tap and you get your family coat on the wall. Talk us through uh, those types of promotional, engaging, community building uh, things we can do in our restaurant to really make an impact and connect with our guests. Sure. So, I mean, you go into a bunch of different places and you will see like mug clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, that's one way to get people to, to be continuously coming in your doors and you, and you build up a following. Right? We didn't have that op- option because of our high ceilings. We didn't have mm-hmm. a place that to, to hang these mugs. So mm-hmm. my parents, um, bought me or had, uh, this huge Kennedy crest, which is our coat of arms, my coat of arms. Mm-hmm. They had it framed for me and we put it up on the wall and, uh, you know, eventually we started seeing some of the same people coming in, some of these regulars coming in. And as I'm walking around the bar and I'm talking with some of these people, they're like, hey, is that your family crest up there on the wall? And I go, yes, it is. You know, my parents gave it to us for, a, you know, basically a, um, a home um, coming or, or welcome gift. Home warming, so, yeah. Right. Housewarming. Yep, yep. Restaurant warming. <laughs> exactly. And so they would be like, well, you know, my, my, my last name, we, I have a, a crest as well. And I go, oh, really? I go, what's it look like? And they describe it to me. They're like, hey, if I bring one in, can I put it on the wall? And I had, you know, multiple people asking me about that. So I'm like, well, okay, let me, let me think about that for a minute. And then I'm thinking, you know, so then I sit down with, you know, my staff and, and my wife. And we're like, you know, this could come in, turn into something almost similar to like a mug club or uh, mm-hmm. some type of a uh, promotion where we can get these people to do something and be loyal to our mm-hmm. establishment. So I said to him, I go, you know what I would love to do? I would love to get your, I would love to put your family crest on the wall. I go, but I don't want it. One coming in an eight by 10, one coming in by a 12 by 16, one coming in as a two by five or a three by five picture. Cause now you're, you're going to stick these things up all over the place and it's not going to be I'm I'm very, I'm a perfectionist at heart. I, I'm very, everything is uniformed and everything is laid out pretty, you know, precisely. Um, so I went online and I researched where I could find these coat of arms, family crests. And I found one company that guaranteed that they had every name there is. So I said, okay, this is what I'd like for you guys to do is I'd like you, at the time we only had 20 graphs. 
but we had 20 craft beers in bottles. And being a craft beer kind of geek myself, I was trying to lure people away from Budweiser, Bud Light, mm-hmm. Coors, Coors Light, right? All those types of domestic beers, which don't have a lot of flavor. And um, in order for me to do that, because Epping was very blue-collar town, they, most of them drank Budweiser, I said, if you want your name on the wall, you have to drink 20 of my draft beers, which are all European beers and craft beers, and 20 of my bottled beers. And then I will, I will research your name, I will find it online, I will buy the JPEG and print it out for you, and I will put it all, they'll put them all in the exact same frame and put it on the wall. I'll number it and put it on the wall. So it became a contest for these guys. Oh, yeah. Who's going to be the first one to finish? (laughs) Right? And we called it the Royal, the the Round Table Club, based off of, like, the Crusades and the Knights of the Round Table, right, with the whole Monty Python. and You know, it fit in perfectly with the name The Holy Grail. And people, they just ate it up. They just loved it. Oh, my God. I ate it up. up. Do you know how hard I tried to get on the wall? Like, (laughs) I think I got at least halfway there. Uh, Me and my brother were trying to do it for a little while, but we we didn't have enough money. Uh, but long story short, yeah. I mean, this is such a genius promotion, uh, and it really just shows your ability to, to, to get creative, to think of something. I mean, not only are you getting people to spend more money to come back, but think about the loyalty that that builds. Imagine going to a restaurant and seeing your name on the yeah. wall, your family crest on the wall. What kind of loyalty does that establish? You're going to bring people, your friends, everyone you know, like who wants to go for a drink? We got to go to the family crest. You're going to point at that. Yeah crest on the wall that that sense of pride of belonging to have your name and your family crest on yep. the wall that's it, impactful it worked, uh, it's genius it worked out perfectly it did it yeah did it made them feel like on brand yeah yep it's it, it's their place oh man it was great and uh i mean you have a very unique concept in this, in the, that allowed you to do that, that it worked perfectly with your brand. Uh, but get creative. I, I know that there's another restaurant in our community, called, or um, it's a brewery, uh, the Neighborhood Brewery. And yeah. they're doing something very similar where they, if you finish so many beers or you, or you become a, a part of the mug club, you get your name on a street sign, and that goes on the wall. That's the awesome. Neighborhood Brewery. Yeah. So there's things you can do to, to really develop that impact, that sense of community, that sense of you belong here. And when you look at high, like Matt, those hierarchy of, of needs yeah. that sense of belonging that sense of being loved is like the first thing that people want and need after food and shelter and security Water. so like right. tap into that exactly yeah. beautiful stuff yep. um okay well, we actually, i gotta get well, we what's that took that a little step further because once we didn't have enough uh, enough room we closed that down we only put 233 of them on the wall because we didn't want to we didn't want it to be, you know, like the coat of arms. We didn't want it. We still wanted to keep the, the look and feel of the church. So we closed that particular promotion off, and then we opened up the, the courtyard. So the royal courtyard outside is very similar to that, but in, in turn, you actually get your name and a little saying in a brick. So oh, that's you, cool. You have your bricks outside, and we basically did the, the Big Beer Series Club and, it, and and same thing, it took off, and people were just going crazy with, with the different types of, you know, Gaelic sayings and, you know, um, dates of, of when they either got married or when they made con- they went to church there and got, you know, made confirmation or got confirmed or baptized. or They just took it to a whole new level, which I wasn't even thinking about. But yeah. 
I mean, uh, it really was awesome. It was fun to do. One, People loved it. One quick question before we move on. Yeah. Um, what do you think the secret is to pulling off a promotion like that? Uh, if there is any secret, like if, whether it be consistency or organization, like what, what do you think is the, the keystone to pulling that off well? It's the staff. It's the okay. staff. You need, to, you need to have the staff on board because most people wouldn't even know that it existed unless the staff promoted it or, or the state sold it. Unless somebody said, hey, what's, what's, you know, what's, the, what's the deal with the plaques on the wall or the crests on the wall, you need to have your server or your bartenders go, hey, I just want to let you know that you, know, you already drank two of our draft beers. Here's one of the Royal Club cards. If you complete the card turn around and you get your name on the wall and people will be like, really? That's all I have to do is come in here and drink beer. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's a simple yeah. thing. They don't, they don't tally up. They don't sit down and go, okay, 475 times 20 times, you know, whatever, uh, you know, a beer, a bottle of beer times four. They don't figure out the math that it costs, you know, thousand dollars or whatever to put their crest on the wall. They don't care about that. All they want to see is their name up on the wall, and the staff is the biggest thing. Being consistent yeah. with making sure that we have the beer in-house and not running out and seeing empty caps, but, you know, it's the staff. The staff has to really sell the sell the promotion. Yeah, and, oh, man, we're already at 53 minutes right now. There's something <laughs> I, I mean, uh, one thing I like to, to discuss before we go to the speed round sure. um, is – I call it a time you fell hard on your ass, uh, a failure, even though there really, I don't believe is ever such thing as a failure, as long as you learn from it, as long as you grow from it. Uh, but you recently tried to expand the brand, uh, up North, uh, and take us through, uh, that experience and, uh, why you might have hit some speed bumps along the way and why it might've not worked out. Uh, I mean, I'm making you, I'm turning you over your, your belly is exposed. I'm making you vulnerable, Absolutely. but there's, there's tons of great, lessons to be learned through these types of experiences. I, can you take us through that? Sure. I mean, and the old saying says, you know, more isn't necessarily better. So, mm-hmm. you know, going from one into two, it doesn't seem like a big jump, but you have to double everything. And, you, and, you, mm. and your time is so valuable. I was not able to spend as much time as I did in the first one there. My wife didn't mm. spend as much time. You know, we're, we were the faces of the Holy Grail. So when you try to open up a new place, it's so difficult to duplicate everything, whether it's yep. the staff, whether it's the food. Yes, the beer is going to be exactly the same. It's coming from the same brewer, right? Um, location, location, location. We tried opening up one in Dover, and the Archdiocese said, nope, I'm not going to sell you that church. We tried opening okay. one up in Massachusetts in Methuen, same thing, the Archbishop of Boston said, we don't like your concept. We don't, we're not, we don't feel comfortable with selling you one of our churches. So we kind of jumped into the one in Laconia, which is a Baptist church. We kind of jumped into that one a little bit too quickly. We didn't wade, okay. wade into the water. We jumped in way over our head on that mm. one. We spent way too much money on the, the build-out. We put every bells and whistles in. You know what I said earlier, start off small. We didn't mm-hmm. start off small. So I, I should have taken my own advice and, you know, my own experience. But you get caught up in it. It's an emotional mm-hmm. roller coaster. You just want to get the place open. You don't want to have to do two years down the road, put up, you know, 70-inch 
flat screen TVs instead of only putting up, you know, 40 inch, 42 inch flat screen TV. You don't want it. You want to have, um, you know, everything want, you want everything to be wireless. You want everything to work perfectly instead of growing into your space. So that was, yeah, it just, that was, our, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that was our biggest issue. We could, we could yeah. duplicate what we had in Epping. And just think of uh, David's story, Mr. Kennedy's story up to this point of doing the market research, really putting a time and energy and thought into what they're going to do, where they're going to do it, and giving the community what they want. And uh, starting small, scaling over time, making changes, doing it right, not settling for anything, uh, and the impact, the the how personal they made it, the touching every table, talking to every customer, being there all the time. That's what makes success. That's what makes restaurants special. And that's a huge challenge for most people is going from that one location to that second location. Um, because you can't be in two places at once. It's and, possible. Um, so hindsight being twenty twenty, you already said, you know, uh, don't dive in, you know, start small, scale over time. What's one thing you would have done differently? One more thing you would have done differently that you think would have change that outcome i would have i would have spent more time in the in the uh the research of the area Mm -hmm. i would have spent more time going to um that that particular area and just uh seeing how the general population lived you know Mm -hmm. submerging myself right into their culture because what you see during the summertime is the you know the affluent the rich people the people that have these huge boats and big camps and they have all this money, they're either coming from, you know, out of state or, um, you know, their second homes or their vacation homes. And that's not the real, that's not your real clientele. Like I knew in Epping what I was getting. Like I said, blue collar, hardworking, blood drinking, yep. burgers and beers. And, uh, and that's how we, we opened it at. Yeah, and you, you, yep. You, you got to be that something new. I mean, it was something new, something fresh. Uh, crap beers were really on the up and yep. up at that time, and you were you were differing, but you weren't too far from home at the same time. Correct. Uh, and it, you know, and and you really the timing was right. There was a lot of right going on with that first opening. And uh, I know that this was, you know, this is still stings that, you know, uh, the bandaid probably just came off. So I, I appreciate you uh, opening up and allowing us to talk about this. Cause it, it was within the past couple months, right. Where you decided to, pull yeah, the we closed as of May 1st. Okay. Well, I mean, you still got one awesome restaurant Thank plugging you. away, doing amazing things. So, Thanks. uh, Tons of tons of lessons learned. If, if the next yep. Holy Grail is coming anytime soon, I know you guys are going to crush it. Uh, thank you. Keep me keep me informed, please. Uh, we're gonna take <laughs> we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back for a speed round. Do you use a wait list when you've got more guests than tables? Maybe your lobby is just cramped or there's a line going out the door. Well, first off, way to go. Good for you. Your food rocks. People love you. Secondly, there is an easier way. Let's talk about No Wait. It's an app because today, let's be honest, everything's an app, but this app really will make your customers' lives easier. No Wait handles your wait list digitally. It makes it easy for customers to add themselves from anywhere. Then it tells them when to head to your restaurant to get seated with as little weight as humanly possible. It's a VIP experience 
experience that guests love and it brings them back again and again. That means no more unhappy campers passing you up to go someplace else less busy. You're busy because you earned it. Check out noway.com slash unstoppable for a special offer just because your restaurant unstoppable listeners. That's noway.com slash unstoppable. Don't let success steal your customers away. Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it? Here it is. Leading industry expert. Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? The three-foot rule. So basically, acknowledge, thank, welcome anyone who's all employees within three feet of a customer. Yeah, I'm just going to call that awareness and being present yep. and really just you know, not forgetting what it's all about. I love it. Uh, and what is your biggest weakness? Um, I would have to say not. I, I'm, I'm a procrastinator. I, I try sometimes think things through too long. Mm. Uh, how has that hurt you? It hurts me because I, you miss opportunities sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but there, a lot of times it pays off too, but sometimes you miss, you miss certain opportunities. Got you. Okay. So what is one piece of advice you have on leadership? Treat, every, treat, treat everyone as, um, as your equal. Beautiful. And when you're hiring new people, what's one question you ask or thing you look for? One trick that you have to really attract and get great people on your team? So um, we would usually ask them a question that is related to um, what if situation. So like, what it, what would you do in this particular situation? And then depending on how they answer it leads us into the next question. So we, we have a whole series of questions and, and how they answer it. It's almost kind of like the SATs and stuff now is where you, you, know, you answer one question, then that, that sends you off into another direction. I don't know if that's gotcha. So you're just looking for like critical thinking to see how they would play it out. In- Correctly. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, what is a current challenge right now you're dealing with? Staffing. Mm. There's, and there's, how are you overcoming that? Well, first of all, there's, uh, there's not enough people out there that are looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. So the ones that you have can jump, they can leave for a buck more or two bucks more an mm. hour. And that makes it difficult for us. And then the second part of the mm. question, sorry. 
Uh, what are you doing to overcome that? Um, we're we're still trying to use people in house, so cross more cross training. We we train people in other areas of the restaurant. Gotcha. Um, what is uh, one thing your restaurant does that separates you from other restaurants aside from food and beer? Customer service. Friendly, what's one thing. Yeah, friendly customer <laughs> I know everybody's talking that, but. Yeah, so uh, give me a specific example of customer service that you do that most restaurants don't. Um, I think it's one of it is the longevity that the, the server has been here. So they've been here. They know the system. Nine they, years, some of them. Some of the them beginning. have been here, right? We have over over twelve people that have been with us for nine. Okay. Um, what do we do differently besides the three foot rule? Too is um, we always we always ha- we always acknowledge people. Um, yeah, wh- whether it's you know it's a positive. So I I'm the social media guy. I respond to every single TripAdvisor Yelp. Facebook page within probably, you know, an hour or so. I respond mm-hmm. to every single buddy's, you know, comment or mention or share or whatever. I mean, it's, social media is, is a big thing now. You, ha- you have to be on top of it all the time. Yeah. And um, absolutely. Uh, 100%. I, I agree with that. And it sounds like you just care. Uh, you care and, yeah. and you, you let your actions do the speaking. Uh, and you show that you care. And uh, what is one book? Uh, you already mentioned that today's youth, they don't read enough. So what is one book that is a must read that will make us either a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh, <laughs> um, that's a tough one. Because I, I don't have a lot of time to read <laughs> anymore either. But I'm... Dude. We can come back to it. Yeah, we'll we can back come to back to that. I, <laughs> I, I know who it is by um, Ayakoka, um, but I can't remember the title off the top of my head. He was the one that did, that did the um, cars, and he was he's just a um, shoot. What's the name of the author? Um, Ayakoka. Ayakoka. Yeah, it was the. Do you know how to spell that? It's a biography. No. I'll look it up. I'll do, okay. I'll do some research. Okay. Uh, what is one new technology or a technology that you're leveraging as of recently that's really had an impact on your operation, whether it be uh, profitability, communication, efficiency, uh, that has you really excited that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's, oh, it's definitely the social media. So social media is the, the biggest techno, tech, technology. I mean, we have a bunch of different things, like one that's called Cake. So Cake is a uh, small program that the hostesses use for reservations, for seating, for, um, you know, turnover of, of the tables and stuff like that. But um, the, the social media, the Facebook, all that, all the different, um, uh, you know, TripAdvisor, like I said, Yelp, Urban Spoon, Google Plus, all those, all those things make a huge impact in in the restaurant um, business these days. Because it's in- absolutely instantaneous. It's it's something that just you know happens so quickly. Everybody's taking more time at their tables because they're photographing their food, they're photographing yep. their, their server, they're photographing their you know their beer or their cocktail. It, you know the 
the table times are actually taking longer because these people are, are more, like I said, they're more involved in the whole experience of, instead of just coming in, sitting down, eating, and getting up and leaving. Yeah. Interesting. And you think that's a good thing? It's a good thing for promoting the business, but it hurts as far as overall sales because mm. it, it slows down the table turns. Do you say it bounces out? Uh, people want instant gratification these days. So the, if, if you tell them it's a 45-minute wait, a lot of people can't, won't wait for 45 minutes. They'll go somewhere else. Okay. As, as, and good, as good as we are and we know we are, you know, once you get over 45 minutes to an hour, most people will be like, oh, I'd rather just go down to Applebee's, even though Applebee's is not the quality of food that we offer here at the Holy Grail. It's just, yeah. you know what I mean? They, they want it. Yeah, I hear you. They, yeah. I hear you. Um, oh, man, I want to keep this technology conversation going because I, I was talking to your people, and uh, they mentioned that you're upgrading your POS system, too, in the, in the upcoming weeks. Is that something that's still happening? Yes, that is. So we're we're switching over from our line wide system, which are based out of Hampton, New Hampshire. Um, yeah. Very small business uh, uh, corporation into the the mainstream the NCR Aloha system, which is so what? Go ahead. Uh, NCR Aloha is all world throughout the world. It's yeah. Very user friendly. So it's 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 one on one, very simple, easy to, to convert or, or train people on, very easy to import new data, whether mm-hmm. it's new food items, new beer items, very easy to track inventory, very easy to track um, you know all of your sales and all of the mm-hmm. the important reports that you need to pull you know, once a month and and then year to end. I'm curious. Uh, there's a lot of great options out there right now. So, w- is there one specific reason why you chose to go with Aloha? Um, the, so, we went with Aloha up in the Lakes region because the majority of the restaurants up in that area was already using that. So okay. We already knew that one. If any server or bartender came gotcha. from another location, it would be they'd already know the easier. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Less, less um, training time. That'll make sense. So we're almost done. Uh, with all the knowledge you have now, Mr. Kennedy, if you could go back in time yep. to that past version of yourself, maybe when you're, I don't know, opening your first restaurant or opening the Holy Grail and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Trust, trust. It's, I think it's the biggest thing is um, trust your abilities. Trust. You got to have trust in in what it is that you're that you're trying to accomplish. You can't mm-hmm. second guess yourself when you get into the restaurant business. You either know it or you don't know it. There's no in between. So you need to you need to have faith and you need to trust in yourself and your team that you're gonna great advice that you're gonna be successful. Yep. Beautiful. And do you have something else to add? No, go ahead. Uh, with or sorry, uh, so. Is there one question I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview? No, I think you've pretty much <laughs> hit them all on the head there, my friend. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, we went over our agreed upon time, but yeah. man, you were just dropping so much value on us. I didn't want to stop you, and I'm so happy I let you go because it was a great conversation. Um, we wrap up 
every episode by calling somebody out. Uh, who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire and think would make a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? Yeah, so my buddy Dan over at the Tap House Grill, he, um, his daughter and my daughter played soccer together for years and years and years, and, and uh, he was a, a huge fan of the Holy Grail when we opened up and and most of the sideline talk while while the you know our daughters were were warming up and playing, we talked we talked about the restaurant business and uh, he's done a great job with that place. Uh, he opened it up a few years ago and they're actually taking it now where they're they're going to start growing their own food, um, you know, so farm to table type menus. But he's really big into the craft beer and he's awesome. just done a, a spectacular job over there. So I would be he'd be the he'd be the next guy to contact. All right, Dan, look out. I'm coming after you. And uh, let the folks at home know if they're listening to this, if they're in the New Hampshire area, or if they want to pick up the conversation. Uh, maybe you mentioned something that like hit a vein with them and they, they want to go deeper. Or maybe they want to come work for you. Maybe somebody uh, wants to come get mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Definitely uh, the best way to connect would be just to go onto our website, um, holygrailpub.com or holygrailrestaurantandpub, and uh, shoot me an in you know, uh, an email. I would love to speak with anybody about this as I enjoyed, you know, our conversation today and, uh, I could talk about this stuff for days. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I'm going to come back real soon and uh, get another beer and pick up the conversation because yeah. uh, there's still so much I want to talk about, but, uh, thank you so much, Mr. Kennedy for taking the time to, you know, share your knowledge, to open up with us, to, uh, care about your people, to be somebody that's just worth making an example of. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. David Kennedy, Mr. Kennedy, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and getting real with us. And another uh, example of the power of scaling, the, the power of starting small, uh, staying focused on what matters, which is people and really impacting the lives of people in making it personal and caring. Uh, and I got that sense from David Kennedy and uh, so glad I got him on the show. It's, this has uh, been a restaurant that's you know been on my radar now for eight years. And uh, I don't know what took me so long to get him on the show. Uh, I think when I first started, I was afraid to get local restaurants on the show because especially, I don't know, just places I go to eat <laughs> because uh, I don't know. It's scary. It's intimidating. And who knows if you're going to be laughed at. And that was like when I was first getting started. But uh, that was, you know, three and a half, four years ago. Uh, came back on my radar. Uh, and, you know, when you hear people talking about working at a restaurant for, for four years and knowing that there's been people working at that restaurant from the very beginning, nine years, like, that's a clue. That's when you know something truly special is happening within that restaurant. And uh, I'm so happy I got Mr. Kennedy on the show to, to share his story and uh, some other lessons is just that that market research, uh, really taking the time to find out what the people in that demographic or that geographic want, getting to know them, asking the questions, and uh, taking a risk can really pay off sometimes. Uh, opening a restaurant in an upcoming neighborhood uh, with, you know, like they were there, they were they they set those roots early on. Uh, great stuff in today's episode. Uh, 
Like always, guys, please do connect with me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. If you can think of somebody I should be making an example of, or maybe you have an idea for a show or uh, you have a, a challenge, a struggle, I can get someone on the show. We can learn from together. We can learn together from this person, and uh, I can leverage my network to to serve you guys. So do email me Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, shoot me some social love, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter, and uh, slash restaurants unstoppable on Facebook. Uh, and quick shout out to my boy Jared. Uh, Jerry's been doing an awesome job editing. He's responsible for all the editing now and the promotion. So uh, if you have any suggestions for Jared, you can shoot him an email. Jared, J-A-R-E-D at restaurantunstoppable.com. He's uh, looking to grow. We're all looking to grow. We're all looking to to do better, to serve you better. So do reach out to us. Uh, I guess that's it. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. And until next time, peace out. 